Well, this being the day after Christmas, it's a great time to just kind of reflect a little bit on the gifts that maybe you have received yesterday or in the previous week leading up to Christmas or gifts that you've given. Or maybe there's some gifts yet that you have to give uh, if you're still waiting to celebrate Christmas with somebody you haven't had a chance to do that with yet. But that's what I wanted to do today in this message is to take some time to just reflect on the greatest gift that God has given us in Christ. It really is the true reason that we celebrate Christmas as followers of Jesus. And the apostle Simon Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, writes this. And I want you to hear this this morning and listen to this gift that lasts forever that's offered to us in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now, that is a gift that lasts forever. It's going to last longer than eight months, eight weeks, eight seconds, eight days, any of that. As I was preparing for this message and just thinking about Christmas, being a pastor, doing this for several years, obviously, it's, it's, it's not a new message. And sometimes we can kind of almost get to a point where we tune it out because we're so familiar with it. And so even for me, as I've read the scriptures and I listened to a message this past week that was preached years ago by Billy Graham, great evangelist, and it was called, uh, it was a Christmas message that he preached. It was called The Cradle, The Cross, and The Crown, and it's, it's a wonderful message. It's, you can still listen to it on YouTube. I would encourage you to do that. Now, I'm not going to preach that message today, but in thinking about that, just those three objects, the cradle, the cross, and the crown, it did kind of inspire me just once again to think about these gifts that God has given us and what each of those things mean. So first of all, let's think about the gift of the cradle. And obviously that represents the fact that God left the glories of heaven and came into this world. Now he could have done it a myriad of ways. He could have done it in a glorious way and come down uh, as, as, a, as he is a spiritual being and somehow represented himself to us in a way that would just totally blown us away. But in one of these mysteries of God, he didn't choose to do that. He chose to come into this world that he created and into us as people that he created in the form of a supernatural birth. It was natural because he was born through a woman. He was conceived in her womb, but it was supernatural in that a male was not involved in this. There was no man involved. Mary was a young woman. She was a virgin. She had never had any relations with a man, though she was engaged to Joseph. They had not come together yet in any kind of physical union. And God did a miracle in her womb, and the egg that Mary had within her, uh, which is human and part of the reproductive process, but supernaturally, he caused that egg to conceive and begin to grow a child within her. 
So Jesus, as he came into this world, he literally was fully human because he had Mary as his mother, but he was also fully divine, fully God, because he literally had God as his father. And this is one of the mysteries. He himself was God in the flesh. And he came into the world through the birth canal, and he was laid in a manger, which is a feeding trough. That was his cradle. And so when we think of the gift of the cradle, we think about the gift of even the way that God came into this world that he created. He chose to experience it like you and I experience it, being born, coming as a small infant and then growing through childhood and through uh, teenage years and then on into adulthood. Before Christ was born into the world, the angel of the Lord spoke this to Joseph and Mary, or Joseph about Mary. It's in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. He says this to Joseph about Mary. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The prophet Isaiah proclaimed centuries ahead of this time. It's a verse that we often hear at Christmas time. But Isaiah said this about Messiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God did this as a gift to us, the gift of his presence, but also the gift of his understanding so that he could experience life as we do as a human being, but also so that we could relate to him and he could reveal to us things about himself that just couldn't be done in any other way. The angel declared to the shepherds the night that Jesus was born in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be Great joy for all people, all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Again, a manger is a feeding trough for animals. So we don't know all the particulars of it. We don't know whether it was a stable, a cave. We don't know if, if it was uh, in some kind of a side room somewhere where they just had to pull the manger in to make it like a cradle. But the point is this. He was born in very humble, poverty-like almost conditions. And he chose to come in, though he was the creator of the universe, he came to enter in in the most humble and in conspicuous way and he came as a servant it's interesting that after Jesus grew to adulthood he often referred to his physical body as bread he referred to himself as the bread of life he referred to himself as the bread that came down from heaven and the amazing thing about just the little things that God does to give us these little clues of what he wants to do to show us and reveal spiritual truth to us through physical things, the town, the very town of all the places in the world that God could have entered into, the town that he came into this world and was born in was the town of Bethlehem. 
In Hebrew, the word Beth means house. Bethlehem means house of bread. I just think that is so cool. The bread of life, the bread of heaven, came into this world in the town of the house of bread, and he was laid in a feeding trough. I mean, he was just saying, God is saying, I have come to feed you spiritually. I've come to give you spiritual life. And I wanted to do this with my body. I wanted to be present with you. Well, the manger was the start of that journey on earth for Jesus, but it wasn't the destination. Jesus obviously didn't come to be born in that humble way so that we could have cute little nativity scenes and beautiful little Christmas cards that we could send to people and be all sentimental about. I'm not being disrespectful. I think it is a beautiful thing. And God did even show in those moments the the family unit, a, a, a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, and a child. And so God wanted to establish that and to uh, show his approval of that. This is how he came into the world. But he grew to be a man. My wife, Julie, she loves uh, nativity scenes, and she has collected them over the years. We've got them everywhere, so they're constant reminders, almost in every room. They're on windowsills. They're in windows. They're hanging on the tree. I mean, but, and it is. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful reminder But again, Jesus didn't come to stay that little baby. He came to grow to adulthood and to experience the hardships and the sufferings of life so that we can know that we have a God, someone that we can pray to who understands what we go through in the various stages of our life and the hardships and difficulty of life. As I was reflecting on this, I I just jotted down some things, and I want to share them with you this morning. I want you to think about these things that Jesus experienced as a human being. I mentioned it a moment ago, poverty is one of those things. Now again, it's not that Jesus was poor and had absolutely nothing, but he was not a wealthy person. He wasn't born into a wealthy family. Uh, He didn't live a life of extravagance. He basically lived a life of very humble means or a life of poverty. And he did that so that people who in this life live lives of poverty and don't have much, know that they have a God they can pray to who understands their poverty. He understands what it's like to have lack in your life with material things. Here's another thing that maybe you don't think about, but Jesus was adopted by his earthly father. As I mentioned, God was his father. Joseph was not his father. But Joseph adopted him into his family as his son, and this also then gave Jesus on earth, according to the Hebrew laws and everything, it gave him all of the rights of the line of Joseph and the line of Mary, as far as it refers to him becoming an earthly king through Israel. And that's a a whole other study that we can do. But because Joseph adopted Jesus uh, into the family, now Jesus had all of the earthly rights of that family. But Jesus also has some heavenly rights that he offers to us. But because he was adopted, Jesus ended up growing up in a blended family. Because after Jesus was born, though that was a miracle, Joseph and Mary were able to come together and consummate their marriage and have that physical union, and other children were born. So Jesus grew up with having half-brothers and half-sisters. And so he understands what it's like if you live in a blended family or you grow up with those that are maybe not entirely your biological uh, sisters or brothers, 
and he can relate to you and you can relate to him. Jesus grew up through his childhood and teenage years. He experienced all the awkwardness of that as our physical body goes through the changes so that when you and I, as we've grown through our childhood years and through those teenage years and into adulthood, we know that we have a God who understands those changes that our body goes through and the different feelings that we have. Jesus grew up learning hard work as a carpenter's son. That's what Joseph did for his living. He was a carpenter. And this is why I say it wasn't that Jesus was totally poor, but he learned he was like in a working class. So he learned that trade from Joseph, and he worked hard. So he can relate to those who work with their hands and work hard and work long hours and do things to try to provide something for people and for his family. Jesus also lived a single celibate life. He never married. He never had a sexual union with anyone physically. He did this so that he could relate to those who live a single celibate life and don't have those kind of experiences. And he did it so that those who go through that can also understand they have a God who understands what they go through and their feelings. Jesus did all of these things, yet Jesus never sinned. He kept his life pure. He was sexually pure. He was physically pure. He was spiritually pure. Jesus even went through a time of unemployment and homelessness. We don't like to think of that. But when he began his ministry, he said to people who wanted to follow him, you know, I don't have any place really to lay my head. You know, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but I don't really have any place to call home. So he understands what it's like to be homeless. So that those who are homeless, when they pray to him, they know that he understands. And again, even though he could do miraculous things, like taking bread and multiplying it to feed 5,000 or more, he himself relied on the giving of others into their ministry. We read about that. The disciples collected funds that people wanted to give to support the ministry of Jesus so that they could have places to stay in lodging, and if they didn't, they just camped out or whatever. We often don't think of the life of Jesus like this, but he experienced all of these hardships. Jesus went through a time of rejection, of course, from various people and at various times. He went through unfair treatment so that those who go through rejection and unfair treatment of others know that he understands. He can relate to you and you can relate to him. Jesus went through ridicule and scorn in his life, and that was even before social media. Uh, <laughs> Jesus went through a time of betrayal. He went through a time of abandonment. Jesus went through a time of physical abuse. We often don't think about that, maybe in these types of terms, but he could absolutely relate. If you've been abused physically by someone, Jesus can absolutely relate to that, and he loves you. And he wants you to come to him. Jesus went through all kinds of suffering, hunger, thirst, sadness, weariness, agonizing pain, and he ultimately went through death. Not only grieving loved ones who died, but he himself dying a physical death. 
so that we know no matter what stage we go through in life or what we go through, we have a God who understands and can relate to us. In fact, that's what the scripture says. In Jesus Christ, we have one who understands. In Hebrews 4, 15, and 16, talking about Christ, it says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Grace means undeserved favor. If you think somehow you've done something in your life that is so wrong, so bad, so heinous that that there's no way you could come to God, you're wrong. Because this scripture says that we, we have grace with God. Grace means undeserved favor. You don't deserve it, but God is offering it. That's what grace is. And we can have confidence when we come to Jesus, when we do it humbly, not pridefully, not trying to make excuses for what we've done or say, well, what what, what I did wasn't really that bad. It wasn't as bad as what other people do. That is all signs of pride in your life. God wants you to simply humbly come before him and say, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm I'm sorry, God, I, I have done wrong and I need your forgiveness and grace. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus was born with the purpose of living a full human life and then giving that life, dying a human death so that we know that we have one who understands. That's what brings us to the cross. Our children sang in their Christmas musical this year, just a few weeks ago. Gosh, that seems like that was a long time ago, doesn't it? But it was really only a few weeks ago. But that one of the songs that they sang is, you can't have Christmas, and I like the way they wagged their finger. <laughs> you can't have Christmas without the cross, right? And that is the truth. That is the true meaning of Christmas. It's the whole reason that Jesus came was to give his life on the cross for you and I. Jesus spoke these words when it was getting close to the time of his crucifixion. It's recorded by one of his followers, John. In John 12, 27, he said this, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. You see, Jesus came into the world with a mission, and it was to give his life for you and I, to demonstrate God's love and God's mercy and forgiveness and grace But it also does something that's hard for us to understand, but it was to demonstrate God's justice. Because God in his love, that God is absolutely full of love, but he also in his love has justice. Because think about this, if if you really love your kids... Are you just going to let them go out and do whatever they want to do? Are you going to let them, like let's say they start heading down a wrong path and they start beating other people up and they start stealing from people and they start killing people. Are you as a parent going to go, oh, I just love them so much. Is that really love? That's irresponsible. We as loving parents understand that we want to teach our children how to live a good life and to not hurt other people and to not do things that hurt themselves or hurt others. And so this is what a lot of people don't get about God because they say, how can a loving God punish people? God punishes sin. There are consequences to sin and he wants us as his followers to understand as his kids, he wants us to live differently. So in his love, he disciplines us and says, don't do that. There's consequences to that. 
and humanity has wandered away from God and we do all of these things and so it angers God. In his love, he's like, I cannot believe this. I created people to make these choices but I wanted them to follow me and follow my love and treat each other with love and respect and forgiveness and they don't. They've just turned away from me and they're doing all of these things. And so God has wrath that is pouring out upon sin. But in his love, he said, I don't want to punish the humanity forever, so I'm going to bear the punishment for their sin. I myself am going to pay the penalty, this curse of sin, which is death. I'm going to take it on myself, though. I don't need to die. I don't have to die. But by doing this, I'm going to satisfy my justice and remain just as a God and holy and righteous, but I'm also going to show my love and my mercy and my grace. And if you don't understand that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you. You're missing a key concept a logical concept, a spiritual concept about God who loves you. But it is the gospel. Sin has to be punished. And God loved you so much that he took the punishment for you. That's how much he loves you. And that's why this gift of Christmas and the gift of the cross is so awesome that we don't often think of the cross as a gift. We think, how could something so cruel be a gift? It's what Jesus did on that cross that's the gift. Luke records this about Jesus before he was crucified, the night before as he was having this Passover meal. He said that, it says this in Luke twenty two nineteen 19 and 20, and he took bread, here it is again, there's that symbol, bread. He took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Here again, Jesus was teaching this spiritual principle. I have come into the world physically to take on flesh and blood, to show you my love, to show you who I am as your God, as your creator, so that you can know me for sure in a real way and so that you can understand my love and I'm giving my life, my physical life for you. This is how much I love you. And I'm telling you, if we don't get that simple truth, if we miss it, there is no hope. There is no hope. That's why Christianity is different than every other religion in the world. It is not about us trying to be good enough to get to heaven or attain some status that somehow we can make it to heaven. It is about the fact that we absolutely cannot. We are lost, we are destitute, and the only way that we can have a home in heaven and to have a relationship with God is because he loved us enough to give his life for us but he doesn't force himself on us. Here again, God in his love and his wisdom, because forcing yourself on someone isn't love, but God in his love says, I've done this for you, now I want you to make the choice. Will you choose to love me in return? And so Christianity is different than every other religion because it is not about us trying to attain to some status that we make it to heaven, but it's about the fact that none of us can. We're absolutely inept and unable to do it, but God loved us so much, he came to bring us to heaven, to give us a gift through himself. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to do that in just a few minutes at the close of this message as we take these elements that I'm speaking of and that Jesus was speaking of. It goes on and it says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. God had set up that symbolism from the earliest of times. People would 
take an animal that hadn't done anything wrong but an animal and they would slay it and they would put its blood on the altar and that was an offering and it was a way it was an object lesson that God was showing us that innocent the innocent would die for the guilty and the Bible says that it was never the blood of bulls and goats that could make us right with God this was a way that God was teaching us of the ultimate sacrifice that he was going to provide himself through his own life his physical body his blood through the blood of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. And this is what Jesus was teaching at this meal. Why do we need to be reconciled to God? Some of you might think. Again, the scripture says it this way. Isaiah the prophet, he put, there's many ways it's stated, but this is one way I think it's stated well. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own way. And isn't that the way it is? I mean, it's not necessarily that we shake our fist at God. I mean, some people do. And some people absolutely just want to reject God. They want nothing to do with God. But a lot of people just, they're born in this life. They get caught up in the things of life, trying to make a living, trying to be happy, pursuing whatever it is they want to pursue. But in doing that, they neglect to think about God or pursue God at all or, or to, to seek God out. And they just go, we go our own direction. And then we wonder sometimes why we feel so lost. And we have no direction in life because maybe whatever we're chasing at the moment, it seems good, and then we get it, and then when we get it, we find it doesn't satisfy, and we begin to chase something else. And so I think that does describe kind of how we are. The Hebrew people referred to this word, uh, this concept of all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So there's both kind of an un intended sin that we commit and then there's a, a willful sin each of us has turned to his own way but the hebrew people had a word for it they described it as kata the greek people had a word for this and it was called hamartia and it's something that all of us deal with no matter what nationality or ethnicity we are those words mean this to miss the mark to do wrong to wander from or violate the divine law of God. In English, we have a simple word for it, three letters, sin. It means an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. Notice it's against divine law, not man-made laws. Because man-made laws can change. God's law doesn't. And that's why we need to be careful in our culture when things that the Bible says, divine law says, is sinful, when we try to pass earthly laws that say, no, that's not sinful, that's legal now, that's okay. It doesn't change the fact of God's law. But God in his love, again, he loves us enough to pay the penalty when we violate his divine law. And so he wants us to come to him, to trust in him. You know, sin is not a popular word. It's not a popular concept because most of us don't like to be told that we're wrong. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be told I'm wrong. But sometimes I need to be told I'm wrong. And my wife, Julie, can attest to that. <laughs> but seriously, we don't like to be told. It kind of offends us, but we need to know. And God in his love lets us know that we have sinned. We've offended him. We don't really think much about that, though. We're all about it if we get offended but we don't think about how we offend others. The Bible reminds us that we're all guilty of this sin problem. And sin has a profound influence in the world. It affects our relationships with each other. 
It affects our relationship with God. It affects our reactions to circumstances in life. We see it all the time. It affects our reasoning. And here's the thing. We have become so used to it. We've become so entrenched in sin that we often don't even recognize it or we try to make excuses for it. And we don't even know that we have a need to be saved from it. It's only when we become affected to the point that we start feeling the weight of it and the heaviness of it and the consequences of it that then we begin to feel like maybe there's something I need to do about this or maybe I need to have something done in my life about this. I'm not trying to be cute because there's nothing cute about what I'm about to say and I'm not trying to be cheesy with this but I think about how God uses things in the world, even hardships, to teach us spiritual truths. And this COVID-19 virus has been a terrible thing in the world. But when you think about it, there is a way that you can draw a bit of an analogy to COVID-19 and sin. Because this virus, you can have it in your body, and you may not even have any symptoms at first, or at all. And yet when you walk around, you're spreading that virus to everybody you come into contact. It's kind of like sin, except we're really born with a sin nature within us. But we walk around and sometimes we think we're fine, we're just fine, and yet we don't realize it and we're affecting other people with our bad attitudes or our pride or whatever it is and the the sin spreads to them and then they get those attitudes and then they begin to retort back, result, result back in the same way that we've done something to them and now they become infected And it's not until we start getting sick from this COVID and we start getting the symptoms. And some people are like, well, it's mild. It's not that bad. And and again, this sin is different than COVID, but I'm just trying to draw a little bit of an analogy. Because it's not until some people get so sick that they're like, I've got to get to the hospital. I've got to get something to help me get over this. And then they'll go and they'll get treatment. Well, for sin, there is no worldly treatment. For sin, the only treatment is a treatment from God, and it is what he has done through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. His blood is what provides the cleansing for us from this infection of sin, this disease of sin, and it's only through Christ that we can be set free from it and be made whole and to be made right in the eyes of God. So I know that COVID-19 is not necessarily deadly for everyone, But it is a deadly disease, and everyone is affected differently by it. But I tell you this, sin absolutely is a deadly disease, and it affects all of us to the point of death. And that's what death is. Death is a curse that is on us as a consequence of the fact that we have turned away from a holy and righteous God. And this is why Jesus wanted to give his life on the cross of Calvary for us so that we could experience that forgiveness and grace from God. The Bible says this in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is the gift of not only Christmas, but it's the gift of Easter, it's the gift of year round. It's a gift that God offers to us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul writes this in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ Jesus. Here again, this is what I say. Christ was God in the flesh. If you want to know what God is like, look at the life of Jesus. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The cross is a gift from God to us because it was on the cross that Jesus took the punishment for your sin and my sin, the sins of the world. Again, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your culture, no matter what your nationality, no matter what your gender God did it for you and I. He did it for all of us. It's why the scripture says, the apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and he says, there's one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus understands our suffering, but Jesus also was able to overcome death. I don't have this on the screen, but one of my favorite Bible verses that meant a lot to me, I mean, was the first time it really sunk into me and, and I'll share it with you now. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and it goes on through 11, but it says this. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to do better, try harder, clean up your act, and then I'll do something for you. No, while we were still in the midst of our sin and our rebellion and all of that, God said, I, I got to do something. And he came into this world and he gave his life for us while we were still sinners. And he did that so that we in our sin could look to him and realize what he's done and then ask for forgiveness and to receive him into our life and then we can be lifted out from under the consequence and the weight of that sin. It goes on in Romans 5 verse 9 and it says this, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Remember I said God loves us, but again he's angry about sin. He doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to come to him so we can be brought out from under that and to learn to live a better way as his spirit enables us and as he guides us. And again, he, because of what he did for us on the cross, he remains just and holy because he satisfied his justice against sin but he showed his great love and mercy because he's the one that paid the price for us. And therefore, we have no excuse. There's nobody that can stand before God and say, well, what you did wasn't good enough, or, well, but, but you know, but I did this. No. Jesus loves you, and he just simply wants you to receive what he has done as a gift. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Christ rose from the dead to give us assurance that what he did was acceptable to God and you don't have to fear going to hell for an eternity if you have placed your trust in Christ Jesus. But if you have not yet trusted Christ as your savior, you're still under God's wrath, you're, you're still rejecting the only way that he provided that you can be into a relationship with him and come into his family if you reject Christ. Some people scoff at this. Some people say, well, that just doesn't sound right. In the worldly mindset, it may not. And in fact, the Apostle Paul even writes this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Because those of us who believe and trust in what God has done for us through Christ, we believe what the Apostle John, who walked with Jesus, writes when he writes this, for God so loved the world, that means you and me, the people of the world, everyone, for God so loved us that he gave. It keeps going back to this gift thing. He's giving it to us, but you have to be willing to receive it. He's not going to force it on you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why he came. He came to save the world. And that brings us to the gift of the crown. Jesus now, because he has done all of this and conquered death, he appeared to his disciples after he rose from the dead physically, bodily, so they could see him, they could touch him, they could know that he is real and that he had done this. Then he ascended back up into heaven and he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit in the world. I'm going to do a new work, but you need to be open to me in my spirit. And this is what he is still doing today. But he has a crown in heaven. And if we would put our trust and faith in him, we can have a crown as well an inheritance forever. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. If you're an heir of all things, that means you have an inheritance. And Jesus is willing to share that gift, that inheritance with all of us who put our trust in him. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. That's how we got here. God created us. We'll, we'll spend the next however many centuries, if God tarries and coming back, still trying to figure out what's our purpose, why are we here. NASA's building a, a, a telescope now. It's great. It's awesome. It's going to be able to look far into the reaches of the universe, and that'll be wonderful but they're still not going to be able to answer how we got here if they leave out God. And God has told us from the very beginning, this, I, you're here because I created you and I want you to have a relationship with me. It's as simple as that. And Jesus made us. Through Christ, the universe was made. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the S-O-N, not the S-U-N. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. He has a crown now, a crown of glory. It's eternal. And he is willing to share that inheritance with us. Again, John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, writes this in John 1, 10 through 12. Talking about Jesus, it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, listen to this, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That is an awesome gift. A gift isn't complete, though, in your life until you receive it. We at home, we still have some gifts under our tree because our daughter and son-in-law and our grandkids, they're visiting his family now, and that's great. I'm glad they can do that. So we haven't given them their gifts yet. 
We've already purchased them. They're there with their names on them, but those gifts aren't complete until we can see them and offer them the gifts and until they actually receive the gifts. Those gifts are just still under the tree. They're not doing them any good at all. And this is the way it is with salvation and with forgiveness. You might have grown up in church hearing this message and saying, yeah, that's nice, that's true. I'm, I'm glad some people believe in it. I, don't, I kind of believe in it, I'm not sure. If you think that that's going to get you into heaven just simply because you believe something in your head but you've never fully received it into your life, it, the gift isn't complete in your life. It's still there, your name is on it, but it's not until you receive the gift that it becomes complete in your life. We understand how to receive gifts at Christmas. We've all done it. You take the package or whatever it is or the bag and you open it up, you unwrap it, whatever, you pull it out, you hold it with your hands and you put it into use. How do you receive the spiritual gift of forgiveness and eternal life? Jesus tells us over and over and over again, the scripture says it, and it's one word, believe. You've got to believe. You've got to believe it. But it's more than just a mental thing of saying, well, yeah, okay, yeah, I believe this. What are you doing about it? Because that's where faith comes in. The Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what faith is, is faith is taking what you believe and now you're acting on it. You're putting into action what you do believe. So to receive Christ, you've not, a, not only got to believe it, but you've got to pray and you've got to invite him into your life, humble yourself, ask him to forgive you, come into your life. And then you need to, in response and out of gratitude, say, okay, Jesus, now help me start walking by faith. Help me to start living out what I believe. Help me to start doing things the way you want me to do them. Again, this is not about earning your way into heaven. This is about receiving a gift that he's given you and just learning how to use it. My wife gave me a couple of tools for Christmas that I'm looking forward to using, but I still have to learn how to use them until I can actually put it into practice. This is how it is with our faith in Christ. So today, if you're listening to this message and you've not yet put your faith in Christ, I encourage you, receive this gift because we have these eternal gifts in Christ Jesus. We have the gift of his cradle. We have the gift of his cross. And if we accept Christ as Savior, we will have the gift of his crown. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege today once again to share this message that for many has become so familiar, we often don't think of the significance of it. And I thank you, Lord, that you have offered the gift of your life to us through the cradle, the cross, and the crown that you now have. And so, Lord, if there's anyone listening to this message today that hasn't yet opened their life to you and received the gift, I just pray that right now you'll help them to pray in whatever way uh, with me, a, a prayer something like this. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving your life for me. I don't fully understand it. I, I don't deserve it. But I believe it. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Help me, Lord, to live for you. I give you my life, my heart, myself in exchange. And I want to live for you, Jesus. So as I receive the gift you've given me, I pray that you'll receive the gift of my life back to you and help me to live for you from now on. Thank you for saving me in your precious and holy name.